You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1214 of the Lawton Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Friday evening. And thank you for joining us, as always, on the podcast and making this podcast your first listen each and every day. Check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. And today's show, we'll get into what became a missed opportunity for the Hawks. Obviously, a winnable game if you watch this one on Friday night as they went to Miami and led at different points along the way. Ended up being a 113-109 to loss for Atlanta. On the road, they fall to 15-25 in road games this year. And really, it is a loss that punishes them in the standings. We'll, we'll get into all the reasons why at the end of the podcast. But in short, the Hawks can no longer have even a chance to get to number seven overall in the East. They can get to number eight, but the uh, the path is more difficult today than it was earlier. Uh, so, you know, with this loss, it's certainly a one that hurts them in the standings. Um, at the same time, it's a game that is sort of is an excusable loss in some respects, and that the Heat are pretty good and they were playing their guys. But Obviously, an opportunity in front of the Hawks that were not able to capitalize on it. And in this potential playoff preview, by the way, because the Heat are the number one seed in the Eastern Conference. So if the Hawks were getting the playoffs, pretty good chance they're playing the Heat at some point along the way. So uh, sort of a, a, a look forward at that. But regardless, the Hawks now lost two of their last three and their last two on the road with this loss. And really, it was back and forth most of the way. Trey Young had a big night, including an explosion late in the first half, put the Hawks in front. But then in crunch time, the Hawks kind of just went quiet and uh, not a lot of fireworks down the stretch. And in fact, the offense in the second half was not particularly awesome, which we'll dive into later on in the show. But overall, a game that in a vacuum back in January would have been a pretty harmless result, a close-fought loss to a good team on the road. But in April, when every game is magnified, the Hawks had chances this one, and they were not able to pull off the victory. So we'll get into the game. As always, if you're a new listener, welcome aboard. What we do on this podcast is dive into sort of the context before the game, go through the game itself with some ebbs and flows, my observations and analysis, and then we'll end the show with some player-by-player breakdowns and a look ahead to the rest of this weekend, which is obviously a huge one in the NBA world, and that definitely um, sort of uh, you know, pertains to the Hawks at this stage. So. As for the game itself coming in, regular rest for both, for both teams, uh, there was a lot of concern slash interest, intrigue, whatever word you want to use as to whether Miami would actually try in this game. I talked about that a lot yesterday on the podcast on a mailbag show, which, by the way, is still relevant other than the last uh, couple minutes talking about the um, standings. But uh, that was a lot, a lot of fun to, to do overall. But basically, there was this thought that Miami could rest some of their guys or all of their guys in this game because they actually clinched number one seed but they weren't even playing Thursday night. So it was the first game after that. Eric Spolstra, their head coach, said pregame they wanted to stay sharp and uh, sort of noted this, and as I said even last night, that if they had not tried in this game, they would have been basically off for more than a week, which teams don't necessarily love to do. So that's why they ended up playing. You know, it wasn't like the Heat were at 100% full strength, but they played their guys real minutes. You know, Jimmy Butler played 37 minutes in this game. Bam Bottom 33 minutes. Kyle Lowry, 31 minutes. So they, they tried, obviously, in this one, which made life more difficult on the Hawks. Uh, elsewhere, the Hawks had some injury stuff, as uh, they usually do. Bogdanovich was added as questionable after not being on the injury report originally, but ended up playing and playing well. Lou Williams was out in this game after he was listed as questionable. He's been out, I believe, in five of the last ten contests now for Lou down the stretch of the season. And then Collins, of course, no update and no return for him. 
On the Heat side, P.J. Tucker was out, was the most prominent guy out for Miami. And then Omar, you're at seven, also missed the game, their backup center. So uh, they were at least somewhat dinged up, but still largely healthy with their key guys. And with all of that said, our friends at Online made the Hawks one and a half point underdogs in this game. Which basically means the Hawks were slightly, obviously not supposed to be winning this game, but more of a coin flip than anything else. And that made sense. We weren't sure if Miami was going to press on the entire way. There was a chance they might pull off in the second half with Butler and minutes and all that stuff. But if you kind of knew this going in, they were actually try from wire to wire. I think Miami would have been a little bit bigger favorite in this one. But alas, that is the context of this game. Um, as for the game itself, it was really, really close fought the entire way. Uh, in fact, the way to illustrate that the best is that neither team led by more than seven points in the entire game. The Hawks led by seven at one point. Miami led by five at one point. That was largely on either side. So it was essentially competitive, or I would say very competitive, the entire game. And the Hawks actually had their big lead early. They were 8-3 to three out of the outset. And Capella was awesome at the outset. He had 6.3 rebounds in the first 90 seconds or so. Um, rotationally, it was sort of similar stuff, but Miami did have their sort of uh, counterpunch right away with a 7-0 run. Both teams, though, kind of started slowly on, on offense, missing a bunch of contested shots, but still uh, you know, a lot of intensity, I would say, in this game. I'm not sure it was like a full-on playoff atmosphere in Miami, but certainly close to it in terms of how hard teams were playing uh, defensively, um, sort of the stakes of it all. Um, obviously, Miami had nothing to play for, but they always are sort of a grinding, grinded out team, and the Hawks had a lot to play for, so they were definitely getting it all in this game. Um, the one minor change in the rotation when compared to Wednesday's game and by the way, we talked about this a lot last night on the show as well, is that I wasn't sure if Nate was going to go back to nine guys in this game if Lou did not play. But, but he did. It was actually Bogdanovich and Wright and Okongwu, as always. And then TLC played in both halves. He wasn't like he was – he didn't play a ton of minutes, uh, played the team low 15 minutes in this game, wasn't a huge factor, but certainly got out there. And uh, that was notable to me that they were uh, sort of expanding back the rotation after it had gone down to eight on Wednesday. On top of Capella dominating in the early going, the Hawks were forced to turnovers in the entire game. Uh, Miami's – worst trait in offense this year and they had some offensive issues to be sure but they do not take care of the ball at all in fact they were bottom five in the league coming in in ball security turnovers per game and they had six turnovers in the first nine minutes including five live ball steals that definitely helped the hawks fuel their offense in the early going trey had a pretty under the radar shot that i wanted to at least note it was kind of a double pump like he was trying to almost draw a foul and then not getting that call but double pumped and made like a 10 footer in the final minute of the first quarter, it, it didn't get a, a lot of attention, but it was kind of a crazy, you know, superstar level shot. But then the Miami answered with a buzzer being three at the end of the quarter to put the Hawks down by two. And really, the first quarter was a uh, slugfest of sorts. Not in that the teams were playing poorly, but they just weren't making a lot of shots. It's 24 22 at the end of the first. Um, the Hawks scored less than point per possession in that first quarter because they were 0 of 8 from three at the outset. Only four, turn, uh, only four assists, I should say, in that first quarter. Um, in the second quarter, they went to Gallinari plus bench when Trey left the floor. And actually, I thought it was pretty good offensively in terms of matchups for the bench in this game without Trey because Miami was using a bench unit that had um, both of Hero and Robinson on the floor. Those guys are good offensive players, but not good defensive players at all. Uh, so that kind of kind of left the door open for the Hawks to score effectively with the bench unit on the floor. I thought the Hawks got a pretty unfriendly whistle in the third quarter. Sorry, in the second quarter of this game, a couple of pretty soft calls on Miami to get them to the free throw line. Uh, also, Tyler Hero had a good game, had a couple of big shots in that second quarter for Miami. But Bogey got going. He had eight points in the first four minutes of the second quarter. He had 15 points in his first nine minutes overall. And that was huge to keep the offense going without Trey on the floor. They brought Trey back in actually earlier than usual in the second quarter and later than usual in the fourth, which was kind of a strange um, thing. He put a lot of minutes in the first half, 19 before halftime. Then actually sat for a while, which we'll come back to in the fourth quarter. The Hawks still had a nice run 
Middle of the second quarter, took the lead again at 9-2. to two, Got the bonus pretty quickly. Miami, though, pushed back. But the big headliner of the first half overall, as I mentioned before, was Trey Young going nuts at the end of the second quarter. Trey had 10 points in the final 1 minute and 38 seconds of the first half. And uh, to cap that off, he, what the play-by-play track is a 38-foot three-pointer, which was uh, an, an absolute bomb. And at halftime, Trey had 23 points on 12 shooting possessions. So he was averaging almost two points per shot in the first half, which is obviously uh, off the charts ridiculous. He did slow down after halftime, wasn't quite as good, had some uh, pretty high-profile mistakes late, a couple bad turnovers that I thought were at least worth pointing out. But in that first half, he was uh, flat-out brilliant and obviously was good on the whole. The Hawks led by five at halftime with a 122 offensive rating. And really, that's a heck of a half against a really good Heat defense. Um, Bogey had 15 points before halftime. Capella had a double-double with 13 and 10. So the three of those guys combined had, uh, I believe it was 51 points before halftime, plus the rebounding and defense of Capella. The Hawks shot well from the floor, but only 416 from three. In fact, the non-Trey Hawks before halftime were one of 11 from three which was uh, certainly one of their Achilles heels in this game, was just not making a bunch of shots, especially once Trey cooled off. The Hawks did not shoot well from three-point range, and that definitely bit them in this one. Also a weird half, though, they had seven assists and seven turnovers. Usually the Hawks are uh, in the top ten in assists and number one in turnovers, and this was not that kind of game for Atlanta. But defensively, in the first half, it was actually quite good. I thought Capella was dominant at times, and the Heat did shoot well, but only uh, two, two off the rebounds and eight turnovers before halftime for Miami. So plenty of positives to get into on that end of the floor, but – Obviously, we'll get into the back and forth of this game. I sort of teased it earlier with the fact that this game was always close. The entire web will have the entire second half breakdown, as well as some uh, player evaluations, and a look at the weekend, which is going to be, again, very, very interesting stuff over the weekend for the Hawks and the rest of the NBA. But first, a word from our sponsors on the podcast. The Masters is underway this week. I'm actually in the Southeast, and of course, it's a huge deal down here with national interest as well as international interest. And I absolutely love the Masters, someone who grew up in Georgia, and it's been part of my life for a long time. With that in mind, BetOnline.net is the number one spot for all sports betting needs and sports information this year and every year from all the latest odds, contests, futures, player props, exotics, and much more. BetOnline remains the best spot for all the latest developments in sports, as well as podcasts and reviews for all the leagues this season. Of course, not just golf or basketball on this podcast. Obviously, it always is about basketball, but BetOnline, it's about all kinds of stuff beyond those things. In fact, BetOnline is the source for all sports wagering information and everything you possibly have, including live betting and your favorite casino games. BetOnline also has other sports, including baseball and tennis, auto racing, horse racing, hockey, MMA, boxing, cricket, soccer, entertainment bets, and much more. And futures markets are always open. Baseball is, of course, underway now. Football is coming very soon. The NBA playoffs are now approaching in earnest, so lots of value to be had in the futures market. I have a website right now, betonline.net, on your computer or your mobile device to learn more about all the trends and the action in the sports world. One more time, that's betonline.net, betonline, where the game starts. All right, we'll dive in now to the third quarter of this one. And Trey Young scored on the first possession of the game uh, after halftime, which gave him 12 straight points for the Hawks, getting back, getting back to the first half. Obviously, that was a heck of a stretch after I talked about how good he was late in the first half. But Hunter got his fourth foul with about 10 minutes left in the third quarter, and I thought he really struggled in this game overall. Uh, I got some feedback that I've been picking on Hunter a lot, which is you know probably the case, but he's been really bad recently. Uh, I know he actually had a good plus minus in this game, but if you watched, he was not particularly good on offense. Defensively, there was nice, there's some nice bounce from him. I'll say that. But uh, a couple of bad high-profile moments offensively. Uh, it was dead even, though, in the first six minutes. Actually, hilariously so. Uh, 15-15, I believe, at the first timeout break. Um, but the notable thing here was that Trey Young got a technical foul for an interrupted dribble. He actually got called for a turnover and then got a technical foul arguing it. as his 15th technical foul of the season, um, which you might not know or really care about. But in the NBA, 16 in the regular season is, a te- is, a, is, a, is a, actually is a, is a one-game suspension. 
Now, it does reset crucially because when the playoffs start, if the Hawks were to make a run, they're going to have to have Trey and not have, have him be suspended. But Chris Kirschner of The Athletic checked in with the NBA and confirmed this. That was also my suspicion, but I wasn't 100% sure, that even if Trey gets a technical foul on Sunday in Houston, he will not be suspended for the play-in game because the clock resets for the playoffs, which I guess includes the play-in. So no real fear here. Uh, but obviously not great that uh, Trey was at least that close to getting suspended for a game. Just something at least to put a pin in. Um, the biggest run by Miami, though, was coming right after that timeout and that technical foul. Miami scored the next 10 straight points to go from down five to up five, and that was their biggest lead of the entire game at that point. I mean, Miller tried to take a timeout in the middle of that run, didn't really stop things. They made a couple threes. Um, I thought Kevin Herter actually made a huge shot when it got to five. It was really teetering um, toward Miami at that point. Rotationally, it was pretty much the same stuff, other than the fact that they actually went with Hunter plus bench rather than Gallo plus bench when Trey sat out in the fourth quarter. Um, I thought Trey got fouled on the last trip of the third quarter, which would have been a nice swing toward Atlanta, but it was not called. And because of that, the Hawks were down by four at the end of the third quarter after leading by five. So that was a big swing against them in that third quarter. It was, uh, I believe, the final tally in the third. Yeah, 35-26 in favor of Miami. So not great on either end of the floor in the third quarter. Um, Miami shot 62% from the floor and 4-7 from three in the third. The Hawks were 6-24 from three through three quarters. So lots of uh, not great stuff there on the number side. Um, in the fourth, they sat Trey for a long time. They had to sit him. I will say this always, like people kind of feel about him sitting in the fourth quarter. Look, he's got to sit sometime. Um, but I will say, I'll say it now just to avoid coming back to it later on. He sat for too long in this game. He sat for seven minutes in the fourth quarter, and that is too long. Now, in principle, it didn't burn them because the Hawks actually played well on the scoreboard with Trey off the floor. I thought they were pretty lucky to maintain that margin that they actually had, which we'll come back to in a second. But on, on the whole, I didn't love Nate's management of this game in a couple different ways. Um, the way that he staggered rotations in the second half the way that he sat Trey for too long in the fourth quarter. And I also thought that Gallinari playing in crunch time was a mistake, given that what he had not been doing on, on offense, what he doesn't get on defense. I thought the line right should have been closing for the Hawks, but a couple of just uh, nitpicking stuff there on McMillan. But I thought those were three uh, notable breakdowns, including Trey just sitting for about, I don't know, three minutes too long, two minutes too long. I think he is, you know, in general, people want to have him come in at all times, which I understand. He's obviously awesome, but he's going to have to sit for more than like two minutes. But seven is pretty extensive in the second half. Uh, sorry, in the fourth quarter of the game, and that's what happened in this game. Going back to where he actually was on the bench, though, well, I said a twelve to two run without Trey. So I say all that, and that's why I said it to make sure that I was on the record because it was not exactly a results play for me because Bogey hit two threes that were huge from the Hawks to give them a pretty big lead. Again, they won it by six points at that point in time. Uh, Hunter did finally score, by the way, in that stretch. He was actually 0-6 from the floor, and that was his only bucket of the game. But um, there was one possession before that in which he had a fast break against Tyler Hero, in which he just got stripped against Tyler Hero as a bad defender. That was kind of a mechanism of Hunter's offensive stuff recently. Again, defensively, I thought he had some pretty nice moments in this game. We'll come back to that later on. I just thought it was a kind of a weird segment, but he, had, he did have one big shot in that run. But the Hawks did slow down from there. They had four trips in a row they didn't score, and they almost had a fifth, I believe, in a row. And then Akongo got off to rebound and finished to keep the lead at four. But, you know, Trey sitting too long was just bad process in my mind. I also thought Capella sat for too long, which I said on Twitter as well. Uh, Akongo played well. The gap between him and Capella was not, like, absolutely huge in this game. But I thought Capella was so good that he sat for about, I don't know, two minutes too long probably in the fourth quarter. He, uh, Trey came back in with a six-point lead and five minutes to go. So if you want to argue against me that he sat for too long – it would be a scoreboard kind of thing because the Hawks were actually up by more than when he sat. I do get that. Miami, though, 
was just turn, turning the ball over like crazy in the fourth quarter. They had five turnovers in the first seven minutes without Trey on the floor and six points. So that was uh, a lot of that, to be honest. But he got within two pretty quickly. Um, Trey, though, hit a big shot over Max Struess that was pretty nice to see. And then Kyle Lowry answered. But as far as the play-by-play is concerned down the stretch, Trey tried another one after that, after he got some confidence against Max Struess, but it took a pretty bad one, kind of a forced, um, let's just say a not good shot going to his right and missed it pretty badly. And then uh, Butler went right through Gallinari, and that's a matchup that Gallo just can't win. Uh, fortunately, Butler missed a free throw out of those two, but again, that's, I don't know why Gallo's out there at that point in time. Um, and then they immediately turned it over, the Hawks did, on a, on a pass that you know could have been caught by, by Capella. I will say that. It wasn't like wasn't only Trey who was credited with a timeout, sorry, with, with the turnover. I think that Capella could have caught it. Also a pass that I think was just not, kind of not necessary at that point in time, which is kind of a theme for Trey. Sometimes he gets a little bit overzealous in fourth quarters, and that definitely happened in this one with that pass, a couple shots as well. Um, I will say the unlucky moment of the night was when Tyler Hero hit a three after that to go from down one to up two for Miami that actually hit the rim, went way up in the air, hit the backboard, and still went in. That was a wild one, and obviously you just kind of shake your head at that point. Um, from there, Trey did go quickly and score back to tie the game. And then Butler missed a jumper that would have tapped, that would have gave the he hit the lead again. But that Hawks, Hawks had a good chance with the ball in a tie game. But they kind of started late in the possession. There was really nothing going. And then Trey almost airballed like a one foot, very awkward three late in the shot clock that he actually he had to take it. But it was just a broken possession all the way around. And then the Heat played good played good offense on the next, on the next possession again. Gallo's still in the game, and so is Bogey. And that's pretty flammable when, with those two guys on the floor plus Trey. That's just tough to get stops. And Lowry got Bogey on an up fake that Bogey just kind of bit on pretty hard. Drove to the rim, found Bam out of bio for a dunk, and the Hawks are down by two with about 30 seconds to go. After timeout, um, just for the record, again, I thought Gallo just played for way too long. I, I will say he, sh- he should have come back in at that point on offense in a must-score possession, so I still would have had him out there for that. But before that, I would have gone with the lawn right. I know it's pretty small with the lawn plus the three guards and Capella, but given what Miami plays, like Jimmy Butler's their four, basically, uh, I think that you could have put the lawn or bogey on Jimmy Butler and been okay at that point in time, just physically. Um, regardless, Trey drives after the timeout, finds Gallo for a three for the lead, and he misses it. It was a decent look. It wasn't a perfect look. Um, I think when you take into account that you're on the road in that spot, I'm definitely okay getting a pretty good three-point look from a good shooter. So I don't really, the process was not too bad for me. He just he just missed it. It happens sometimes. Um, they had to foul. And, of course, they fouled Tyler Hero. who's a great free throw shooter. He makes both, and the game is basically over from there. So uh, I thought the Hawks did not play well down the stretch. In fact, McMillan, in his post-game press conference, talked about the last five minutes or so he highlighted as the Hawks not getting what they wanted to. I thought Trey, after a really good night overall, did not play well down the stretch. Um, I thought they were not in great stuff either. And then, of course, just some missed shots sprinkled in. So kind of a perfect storm. I believe that, you know, if you, if you look at the play-by-play, play, the entire fourth quarter was very low scoring. So it didn't, like, stand out too, too much. But, uh, you know, before the scramble mode kind of stuff, I think the Hawks – yeah, the Hawks only had two points in the last 315 of the game and only four points in the last four and a half minutes of the game, which is not like devastatingly bad. But if you go back even further than that, they only had, I believe, six points in the last six minutes. Like it was like they were scoring at a super high level down the stretch, and uh, that burned them in this spot. Um, as for the takeaways from this game in terms of the stats and the uh, overall sort of team stuff, offensively, the Hawks are not very good overall by their standards. A 112 offensive rating is actually pretty good on the road in Miami for anybody else, but the Hawks are obviously really good on offense. But after halftime, it's pretty bad. Uh, they scored 48 points, second half, well below average in efficiency overall. They were 2 of 10 from 3 and no free throw attempts in the fourth quarter, which may be some officiating stuff too, but still not very aggressive getting into the rim. And, and they turned it over eight times in the second half. The Hawks only averaged 12 for a full game. 
which is uh, tells you all you need to know. In fact, they had 15 in the game. That's more than normal, and only 17 assists. That's a very bad ratio. Lots of one-on-one stuff from the Hawks in this game. They shot it pretty well from two, but only eight of 34 on threes. And the combination of bad three-point shooting, uh, not very many assists, and a lot of turnovers for the Hawks, that's a bad ratio. Even with a good offensive rebound game, uh, that was not quite enough to push them over the top on offense. Uh, defensively, I thought they were pretty good in the fourth quarter, honestly. I thought Capello was uh, really good when he came in. I thought Kong would play well when he was playing in the fourth quarter. Um, Gallo and Bogey had some moments, to be sure. But the middle of the game was pretty bad for Atlanta. I believe they allowed 67 points in the, in, in the middle quarters. That's not what you want to see. I guess they, a Heat offense that's okay, but not great by any means. Uh, they held Miami to only 20 assists and 17 turnovers. That's a really good ratio, and they did well in the glass. But Miami shot the heck out of the ball. They shot 63% from two and 42% from three. Uh, that's tough to overcome. They had a 67% true shooting mark in this game, and that is just hard to win on the road. It's a good team when you can't get stops, and that is what that was the case in this one. So zooming out a little bit before we get to the player evaluations, again, I said it before, but I'll say it one more time. If this game happens in the exact same fashion, Hawks lose by four points back in February or back in January or in November or whatever, I would have come on the podcast and said, look, it's a reasonable loss. I mean, it's not like you want to lose ever, but losing my four points on the road to Miami is not like the scarlet letter kind of loss. It's just that they had chances to win it, and they also, uh, more importantly, needed to win it for the standings because it was a, it's a pretty big swing. You know, the Hawks cannot get to seven now, um, and we'll get into that later on specifically, but uh, just the punishment of the loss does make it sting a little bit more, and of course, they'll, they'll be favored on Sunday, which we'll get into later on, but uh, certainly a, uh, a game in which they will be uh, licking their wounds for probably the next day or so after losing this one. So, before we get to the player evaluations and the end of the podcast, with some look ahead to the weekend, a word from our sponsors on the podcast. I'm really trying to eat right this year. I'm having a lot of success with it, but a lot of that success goes to the help of Built Bar. In some ways, it's actually a lot easier for me to eat healthy because I actually enjoy eating Built Bars from protein-infused puff bars. They're fantastic. All the other fan favorites from Built Bar. Each and every bar has 100% real chocolate on the outside, which makes a huge difference both in taste and texture, and they all taste fantastic. On top of the taste, Built Bar is low-calorie and high-protein. You can easily replace your candy bars Built Bars this year, both to replace that taste and that sweetness, and also to improve your overall nutrition. Built.com has all the nutrition information that you could possibly want, and honestly, it'll be blown away by it all because Built Bars, at least most of them, have 4 grams of sugar, 4 net carbs, and 17 grams of protein with a very low calorie count. Built Bar also has longtime flavors like coconut almond and others, and new flavors are coming all the time. Plus, all of them are delicious. I can tell that from experience. Having tried them all, they're all fantastic. And the best way to check out Built Bar is to go to Built.com. Use the promo code LOCK15 when you get there. If you do that, 15% off on your order with Built Bar. That's Built.com. Check it all out. 15% off if you use the promo code LOCK15. Promo code LOCK15, 15% off at Built.com. All right, we'll dive in now to the player evaluations. And the bench was kind of hit and miss. It wasn't bad, nor was it fantastic in this game. TLC was quiet, only took two shots, missed two threes. They were decent looks, just didn't make them. Had a rebound and assist, played good defense, I thought, overall, but didn't score. Uh... As I said on last night's podcast, if you want to go back and listen to that, I definitely recommend it. If it's up to me, in a one-game scenario, I play eight guys. And it's the eight guys that play plus TLC. I would not play TLC in a one-game scenario. I don't mind that as much as everybody else does. I think TLC is okay, generally. But I think if it was up to me, I would have played eight guys in this in this game. I'm not sure if I would have swung the result, but um, I would have trimmed it down. And it was basically a must-win for Atlanta. And I would do the same in the playoffs or in the play-in uh, next week if I had to choose. From there, uh, DeLon Wright. Did the long ride stuff, two points, two steals, had an assist, two rebounds. It wasn't like he had a huge offensive game. I understand that. But defensively, he is just far and away their best guy on the perimeter right now. Um, that's just noteworthy. Just the chaos that he does, the, you know, the soundness, ball movement, et cetera. I thought he played well in the game. I would have liked to see him play more in the second half. 
Kongwu, I thought was pretty good, actually. Six points, seven rebounds, two assists, and a steal. I thought Capella should have played a little bit more than he did, but that's not because of Kongwu. I thought Kongwu played well. It's just that Capella was that good. Not that Kongwu was bad. I thought he played. I thought he played well on both ends of the floor. And then Bogey had a good game. Uh, he was better in the first half than the second, but still 25 points on 21 shot attempts um, overall. It was 8 of 18 from the floor, 3 of 8 from 3, and a perfect 66 at the free throw line. Seven rebounds as well, two assists, two steals. He was active. I thought he played extremely well. Had a couple of huge ones in the fourth quarter when Trey was off the floor, kept the Hawks in a driver's seat, and I thought uh, he was a general plus in 36 minutes. Um, to the starters, the one guy who struggled badly was Hunter, as I said before. It's kind of funny that he was the best plus minus on the team. Uh, it tells you that's not always the perfect stat because I thought if you watch this game and if you certainly saw my mentions, people were very, very done with Hunter by the end of it. Um, on the positive side, defensively, I thought he was pretty good in the second half in particular. But offensively, a couple of just really bad finishing attempts. The one bad uh, turnover in transition, three turnovers overall, no assists. One rebound is just kind of indefensibly bad for someone his size playing a lot of four. All the same stuff we've been saying for a while. In the last like three or four games, um, he's had a couple of really bad stinkers. Now, it's not all that. I think he's actually scored in double figures a bunch of times in the last you know 20 games or so. But dating back to the Cleveland game, he was really bad against Cleveland well, last week. Uh, he played okay against Brooklyn, I thought, um, and did some nice stuff against Toronto. But he was terrible against Washington. He was terrible tonight. And we'll see how he plays on Sunday. But uh, it's, it's kind of uh, not been a great close of the season for DeAndre overall. Uh, I thought Gallo was not very good either. Seven points, two rebounds on nine shot attempts. Just didn't have it on offense. And was, we've said a lot this season and, and beyond. If he's not making shots, it's tough to play Gallo a ton, and they needed to play him, but uh, he played too much in the fourth quarter, for my liking. Uh, I thought Herter was really good. 15 points, three assists, three steals, seven rebounds is good to see from Hunter, from Herter. Uh, he made five of seven on twos, which is good to see him being aggressive. One of four on threes, kind of contributing to the problem overall with the Hawks being eight of 34 for the game as a team, but I thought he played well. He just didn't shoot it extremely well from three, but many other things happened and was a general plus. Capella, I thought, was awesome. 17 points, 14 rebounds for Clint in the game. Probably better in the first half than the second half, if you're being objective, as was Trey, to be fair. But I thought Capella was really good defensively. He's been playing his butt off for a while, and that's been clear. And then Trey Young, 35 points, eight assists. Did have seven turnovers, and I think that was an instance where I thought Trey did not take care of the ball very well in the second half of this game. In general, and I saw this comment actually on, on, on the YouTube channel. If you Again, one more time, subscribe to the YouTube channel. But people are talking about Trey being in the top three or four in the league in, in turnovers this year. I don't really mind that. Uh, I think Trey Young is a high-volume player and a high-usage player, and that's going to lead to turnovers, and he's an ambitious passer, all that stuff. Also, if you look at the turnover leaderboard, quote-unquote, for the season, you will see that like 12 of the top 15 guys in the league are stars. It's like Trey and Luka and Jokic and Carl Anthony Towns. Um, there's all kinds of you know top tier players. James Harden's on that list, etc. So I don't really care about that. You know Russell Westbrook's number one. That's a lot of bad. But I think Trey's turnover is not really a problem. But I will say in the fourth quarter of crunch time this game, he was not particularly his best. He had a couple of bad shot attempts, a couple of bad settles, a couple of bad passes, etc. He still made some nice plays. Um, and overall, he was good. It's just that uh, in the fourth quarter when he's when he doesn't have it, this has been a criticism that I've had for a while. Not necessarily of Trey, but the way the team is built and operates in fourth quarters is that if he's not good which he usually is. I want to be clear. He usually is. But if he's not absolutely cooking the fourth quarter in crunch time against a good defense, plan B and plan C are not always great. And that's what happened down the stretch of this game. Okay, from here, we'll close up the game itself and look ahead to the standings because it was a busy night around the Hawks in the standings. With this loss, the Hawks are 42-39. and 39. Um, Like I said in the last podcast, they clinched a winning record for the season. They can get to 42-40 and 40 if they lose, 43-39 and 39 if they win on Sunday. Brooklyn beat Cleveland. That was a big result. 
for all parties involved. And the Nets and Cavs are now 43 and 38 combined. They're tied in that record. Uh, Charlotte won by a million on the road in Chicago. Chicago's been playing terrible, by the way. Anyway, the Hornets are tied with the Hawks now at 42 and 39 for ninth place in the East. And the Hawks have a tiebreaker right now with Charlotte. So after a travel day on Saturday, the Hawks close up shop on Sunday in Houston, a 3.30 p.m. Eastern time game, 2.30 local in the Central time zone. And the Hawks have to win the game or they will definitely be in the 9-10. That goes without saying. Now, the Hawks are going to be a huge favorite in Houston. The Rockets are not particularly trying at this instant, although they did take the Raptors to the brink tonight on the road. So I want to say this and stress this. The Hawks in Houston are favored. It would be a terrible loss if they were to lose, but it is not. I want to say this again. It is not a guaranteed win by any means. The Hawks going on the road has been an adventure at times. Houston has at least been frisky. They do have some talents along the way. So don't assume. I think the Hawks should win. The Hawks will be favored to win by a lot, I would imagine. But I uh, just want to get on the record. I'm not guaranteeing a victory in that spot. From there, again, one more time, the Hawks have to win that game, or if they lose, they will be in the 9-10 for sure. If they win, they need Cleveland to lose to have a chance to get the number eight overall. Number seven is off the table because they lose every tiebreaker to the Nets. If they get in a two-team tiebreaker with the Nets, the Nets win. A three-team tiebreaker with the Nets, the Nets win. Four-team tiebreaker with the Nets, the Nets win. So the Hawks cannot get to seven unless there's something that I'm just unaware of, but the NBA has put out those scenarios and they can't get there. So if the Hawks were to win and the Cavs were to lose, the Hawks will be number eight, and that would be pretty big. Obviously, if you missed yesterday's show, you don't love the play-in format, et cetera. It is better to be in the 7-8 than the 9-10 for obvious reasons, but the biggest one is that if you get in the 7-8 game, you have two chances to win one game. If you're the eight seed, you're on the road in the first game, which is tough, but when or if you lose that one, you still have a home game later in the week to get in the playoffs. If you're in the 9-10, one bad night, and you're out. So that's tough. All that said, the Cavs play Milwaukee on Sunday. If Milwaukee were to play their guys, Cleveland is an underdog in that game. Milwaukee is better than Cleveland. The game is uh, in Cleveland, which is worth noting, but the Bucs are better than the Cavs. And that gives it the same time as the Hawks game on purpose for the, for the main schedule. But I don't know what the Bucs want to do. They might try. They might want to have the Cavs win. Um, to keep the Hawks down. They might want to have Brooklyn. Somebody asked me tonight, you know, if <laughs> if you're Milwaukee, what would you do, basically? And it depends on how scared Milwaukee is of Brooklyn. Because if you want to say, if the only objective, and this is not, it's probably not the only objective, but if the only objective would be to avoid Brooklyn, I would argue that getting the Nets uh, to play the Cavs is probably what I would uh, not, want, not want to have happen if I was Milwaukee. Because Milwaukee's the two seed. So, that means if Brooklyn, Brooklyn's the seven, that then, then, then they play Milwaukee. So if I'm the Bucks, I'd want the Hawks to be the eight seed to give the to give the Hawks a in my mind have a much better chance of being the Nets than the Cavs do. Regardless, we will not know probably until Sunday what the Bucks are going to do unless there's something happening that I'm not aware of right now. But old friend Mike Budenholzer could be playing a huge part in the Hawks getting to the eight seed or not. So we'll keep an eye on that and we'll update you on Twitter and all that stuff before now between now and then. But um, if you are a Hawks fan and have two TVs and a league pass, I'll be uh, turning on Cavs Bucks at the same time as the Hawks game on Sunday. Because uh, other than the Hawks game itself, that is the single biggest game that will affect the Hawks this season. So other than that, Charlotte plays Washington at home. They'll be favored in that game. Not by a ton, probably, but they'll be favored. The Hawks can only get to number 10 overall if they were to lose and have Charlotte win. That is not likely to happen, but it's possible. The Hawks do have the tiebreaker with the Nets. So, uh, Sorry, with the Hornets. So if... Uh, let's just say the Hawks play uh, the, you know, 
play the play the Hornets in the nine ten. Uh, it'll be Hawks Hawks over Hawks over Hornets in the standings unless unless they don't tie unless you know, Hornets finish ahead of Hawks. Um, we'll see on the three way tiebreakers according to uh, Cavs loss plus Nets. I believe it's uh, Hawks win the tiebreaker if uh, you do the three way with the Cavs and the Hornets, but lots of uncertainty and all that stuff. I will say this: uh, they the Hawks got to get uh, as far up as they want to, which means they have to win. If they win, they can't fall below nine. That's what it comes down to nine is better than 10 eight's better than nine. It's very simple. So essentially at the end of the day, I know I'm rambling a lot here. The Hawks will be likely, I want to stress likely, not, not definite, likely to be either the eight seed or the nine seed. The biggest question, the biggest coin flip of them all is Cleveland Milwaukee. I think the Hawks are clearly favored to win their game. The Hornets are favored to win their game. And the uncertainty game is Cleveland hosting Milwaukee. So we'll keep an eye on that. And if you, if anything changes, I'll pass it along on Twitter. Follow me on Twitter at BT Roland. Follow the show on Twitter at locked on Hawks. No podcast between now and the game on Sunday. I'll be back from the road on Sunday evening. I have a jam-packed weekend ahead of me with some travel and a funeral and all this, all kinds of stuff. So uh, forgive me if I'm out of pocket for a little bit of time. But I'll be back again Sunday night. I promise you that heading into Monday. And um, as I said last night on the on the, uh, on the the show, the play-in schedule dictates that if the Hawks were to win and get into the 7-8 seed if it, with, with some help from the Cavs, so the 7-8 game is Tuesday. The 9-10 game is Wednesday. So the Hawks will be playing either Tuesday or Wednesday. Mark your calendars. But we, we will not know that result until Sunday. Okay. Please subscribe to the podcast on Apple or Spotify or YouTube, especially as we're trying to drive subscriptions there. Follow the show on all platforms. Uh, please leave ratings and reviews. And also take a second. If you have a Hawks fan in your life that might enjoy this podcast, please share it with them. If they don't like it, that's okay. But give them a chance to like it. If they might jump on the bandwagon, really, really appreciate all of your support and your listening and your watching and all that fun stuff. Enjoy your weekend. We'll see you again after the game on Sunday.